The reading of the Scriptures from Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. So I invite your reverent attention and hearing of God's Word and faith as we find it in Acts chapter 15. And some days, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take uh, with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we have uh, been studying in the book of Acts uh, a number of uh, violent clashes uh, between uh, the agents of the kingdom of God and uh, the forces of darkness. Unfortunately, the clash here is internal to the church uh, that eventuates uh, in a rift between uh, the two apostles of Paul and Barnabas. I would remind you that Acts 14.14, Barnabas is referred to as an apostle, perhaps not in the technical sense of uh, the apostles that were with Jesus, even the apostle Paul, but nonetheless there's a rift between the apostles. But in uh, God's providence, the work continues to expand the presence of the glory of Christ. Uh, But the rift is uh, very regrettable but also commonplace in the life of the church. Regretfully so, I I might add. Uh, And and perhaps it's a lesson for us uh, who who belong to the church of Jesus Christ, that we would go to school on uh, Luke's treatment of the rift and the greater priority and precedence of the advancement of the gospel and the apostolic ministry. So a division arises resulting in a separation between Paul and Barnabas. Yet again, Paul continues to work because of its precedence and priority. The immediate context is, of course, the first missionary journey has come to an end. Specifically, as you know, in that journey, John Mark leaves the apostles. Let's turn to Acts 13, 13, because it's a significant historical context of what is about to occur. Now, Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Luke doesn't give us a reason. Typically in life, when there's problems, church, business, maybe in a family, relationship, they don't go away. They may be put to the back burner, put on simmer. My own experience is this, problems don't 
magically, of course, I don't believe in magic, but they just don't disappear. The pot just simmers. And what does a simmering pot eventually do? Well, you know the answer. It's what's going to occur here. But again, Luke does not tell us why he departs. So why don't we speculate for a moment? Please note the word speculate. The work had to have been incredibly difficult. Going into the great frontier, carrying the gospel, advancing the faith. I mean, we've read of the Apostle Paul being stoned, rejected. That's, that's tough stuff. That'll put fear in the heart of any man, watching someone being stoned. Maybe, maybe John Mark began to dream of that and I just can't handle this and he leaves. I don't know. Maybe just the sheer hardship of it all. Maybe he's homesick. Again, my speculation. The most likely cause, however, is he was disillusioned over the transition of leadership from Barnabas to Paul. As you know, Barnabas uh, was John Mark's cousin. Uh, you've heard the phrase, uh, blood is thicker than water. So, I, again, I think the most likely cause is John Mark did not like the fact that Paul is now taking principal stage. Just simply couldn't handle it. His vote was with Barnabas. I suspect God's vote was with the Apostle Paul. And there's a shift in that leadership. And there's always shifts in leadership and works and relationships. And that's why it's of incredible importance that you understand that precedence and priority always goes to the advance of the gospel and the kingdom of Christ. And personal issues need to be shunted and left aside and simply suppressed, if you will. And that's certainly true in the life of the church. There's lots of personality clashes. There's lots of different philosophies of ministries. What has precedence is the truth of the gospel, priority always to support it, set our uh, personal philosophies and feelings aside. Uh, that's certainly a difficulty in the American church where a feelings-oriented people we must do otherwise. The Scriptures calls us and tells us what to do. So there's a transition here as Paul... We know the leadership is shifting because Paul initiates the second missionary journey. If you go back all the way to Acts 13.2, the Spirit initiates the first. Acts 13.2, and while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. That work was the first missionary journey. And now we're on the eve of the second, and the Apostle Paul knows what the Spirit wants him to do. Uh, he doesn't need to provide decisive guidance. It's known. What's known for each of us? Let me tell you. The advance of the Gospel. The truth of the Gospel. The truth, if you will, of the theology of the Protestant Reformation must, should have precedence and priority in your life over all things. Because Christ is King over all. The supreme, majestic King before whom we serve. 
What if, what if, the, what if John Mark had, after the first missionary journey, had, had gone to Paul and said, you know, Paul, in a moment of weakness, I blew it. Confessed his error, renewed his commitment, and asked for another opportunity to serve. He doesn't. He will at some point, but he doesn't now. I would tell you, if you're a cause of a separation, and that happens a lot in life, but when it happens in a church, if you're the cause of it, you're the cure. Ultimately, the cure is Christ. But we need to understand the precedence of the kingdom of God. Uh, you mess with the church, uh, be very careful, because Christ is its head. It belongs to Him. He deserves priority and precedence in all things. I understand in fallen humanity, we, we blow it, and if you blow it, cure it. Uh, John Mark doesn't do that. So it's going to simmer. So now the problem surfaces from Acts 13, now we're in Acts 15, but now it comes to a head. And eventually they all do. Eventually the pot on simmer is going to come to a boil. My point is that the withdrawal is personal. I understand blood's thicker than water. I understand uh, John Mark loved his uncle, or cousin, pardon me. I, I get that. When it comes to the kingdom of Christ, I don't get it. Personal reasons are no reason to separate. And we all have our personal interests. Well, the church ought to be younger. The church ought to have programs for teenagers. Uh, well, I don't know. Church ought to look like Christ in all of its diversity. That ought to be the priority. Who cares what your personal interests are? It's the interests of Christ that take center stage all the time. The reason to leave a church is theological. I stand in the pulpit and deny the Trinity. <laughs> That's the reason to leave immediately. Uh, I stand in the pulpit and I say, well, I've, I'm forsaking the doctrines of the Protestant Reformation. I no longer hold to uh, justification by grace through faith alone. You know, the, uh, the Anglican uh, bishop who caused a stir over the doctrine of justification. Very interesting. When he was an undergraduate in Cambridge, with three other of his undergraduate students, he wrote a book titled All of Grace. He recounts his commitment to the 39 articles and the Westminster Confession of Faith. What happened between his undergraduate period of time and become a bishop in the Anglican Church? I don't know. But he wandered and he drifted. That's the reason you leave a church, denying the great Reformed confessional statements. I mean, you can read the 39 articles, ladies and gentlemen, and their understanding of the doctrine of justification, and then also read the homily of the Anglican Church. It's not as good as the Westminster Confession, but it's almost. It's a reform statement. 
but he wandered. Uh, I once had a church historian tell me, well, you don't become a bishop in the Anglican church by remaining orthodox. Was it a title? A raise? The gospel and the presence, precedence of the kingdom of Christ has priority over everything. If it costs you a title, give it up. If it costs you a raise, give it up. Like Martin Luther tells us, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. God's truth is going to triumph. It has precedence over personal reasons of withdrawal. So the second missionary journey and the cause of the separation. The planning of the second mission causes a division resulting in separation, verses 36 to 39. Paul's mission statement is non-controversial. Let us return and visit the brethren where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. It's a pastoral concern. Paul was an apostle, but his heart was as a pastor, concerned for the churches that he has planted. Now let's look at the first concern of his in the first missionary journey in Acts 14.22. Strengthening the souls of the apostles encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. It's a pattern. The apostles will plant churches, then they'll double back, strengthen them, encourage them, build build them up. You know why? Because we're in the end time tribulation. And it causes people to waver. And people need to be strengthened to enter the final form of the kingdom. As you know, because I say it often, I believe that the end time tribulation in the American church is just simply plain and simple theological delusion. And that God exists to make you happy and to please you. And that your feelings count for everything. I would say God's glory counts for everything. His kingdom should have priority and precedence over everything in your life. Notice the word persevering in the faith. It's one of the great lost doctrines. You are called in the Scripture regardless of the vagaries of the times and the vagaries of your life and body to persevere in the faith and the great extolling majesty nonetheless of Jesus Christ whom the Apostle John refers to as the faithful witness because he went to the cross. He persevered in the faith. That's a calling for you. Regardless of your station, to persevere in the faith because of Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. Teaching the church that it needs to persevere, go the distance. Because we've been born again. Because we're in the end times and the Uh, coming of the Spirit upon us, filling the church, Acts 2, as a marker of the end times, is a reminder that we're giving from on high the presence of the Spirit to empower us. And yes, we all grow weak. Uh, Yes, our hearts waver and quiver. It's just simply our fallen nature. 
But the scripture should tell us to go to the Spirit, to seek for strength, to persevere, to uphold the truth, regardless of the cost, to proclaim the gospel to the world that Christ alone justifies, will stand in the presence of the glory of God solely on the merits of His righteousness, and the Spirit has empowered us each and every day to do just that. Letting goods and kindred go because of the priority of the gospel, the kingdom of Christ. Barnabas proposes to take his cousin John Mark. Uh, it's important, I think, to remember at this point that it's now a personal leadership issue. And we need to learn in terms of separation from churches that personal issues should be suppressed for the majesty of the priority and precedence of the kingdom of God. Barnabas can't let that go. My point to you is it's not a theological issue. It's a personal issue. And I will tell you, all through your life, you're going to find personal issues in the life of the church. Be very careful. What should take priority is theology. I will tell you up front, every day, I'm committed to the theology of the Protestant Reformation and the five solas. Because that's the truth of the Word of God. We should persevere in that. Our culture every day is turning away from it. We must not. Thank God you have not. Because of the Spirit. More often than not in the American church, we create unity by diluting theology and giving precedence to personal issues. That's a terrible wrong. Because if you dilute the truth for those types of issues, you're not creating unity at all. You're just creating a crowd. And we're not a crowd. We're the church of Jesus Christ of which He is the sole majestic head and king. And the moment you begin to dilute theology, uh, personality issues begin to define you. What should define us is Jesus Christ. Well, Paul kept on insisting it was not the right thing to do. Verse 38, Acts 15. Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them in the work. So the debate persists. You and I can imagine Paul and Barnabas arguing deep into the night. Paul doesn't relent. Neither does Barnabas. Furthermore, Paul describes John Mark in harsh terms. Deserting. That's, boy, that's a tough word. That is a tough word. It's Paul's word. And for not continuing in the work. People leave the church over personal issues all the time. Phil, we're not this, we're not that, we're not this. I, I understand that. I just, it's just simply the way that it is. I would commend you to the reality that it's theology that should cause separation. Now, the work is here a reference to the missions and the witness of Acts 1.8. The matter becomes heated. Uh, this very word heated is a very important word. Very strong word. I suspect all of you, your adults, have been in heated arguments. Let's look at its use in Acts 17.16.
Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. Full of idols. Paul is, he's just steaming. He's turned from simmer to medium to high. That's the word here. Tragic result is they separate. Barnabas sets sail for Cyprus, his home with John Mark. I, I reminded you last week of the first great uh, separation in the Reformed Church between John Calvin and Martin Luther over the Lord's table. Very interesting that there's some historical evidence that Luther later in life regretted his decision. Some historical evidence became to understand that Calvin was right. It's the spiritual presence, not the physical presence of Christ in the sacrament. But by then, it was too late. Where there was one Reformed church, now there's two. And the church has been dividing ever, ever since. Uh, multiplies, I think, in uh, American culture over our own particular culture issues. Uh, I think, again, tragically, we're more concerned with uh, uh, filling crowds rather than glorifying God. But I would remind you, in life and in churches, disagreements are a given. It's really how you handle them, how you resolve them that's the key. And it's simply true in Grace Bible Church. We're always going to disagree over things. Should our choir robes be red or black? Boy, that's a big argument. We ought to really fight over that one, to be sure. But that's just simply life in the American church. But it's resolution. It's always resolution. Remember in all of my command billets, the United States Army, tell the staff, look, you can disagree with me all you want to. But once the commander makes a decision, all debate, all argument ceases, and we execute. Essentially what the Apostle Paul is doing, but Barnabas will not relent. The commander, Paul, is, I think, correct. Barnabas will not give in. I remember in my business career, I would always tell new hires, look, we're always going to disagree. That's fine. I get it. Just remember, cool heads always prevail. And we have to do always what's right. Always. Cool heads always prevail. I think good advice for the church. What should always prevail is the precedence and the priority of the majesty of the King Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ who makes us one by His great redemptive reconciling act. And if He's made us one, we ought to act one. In life, I understand if, uh, if you have uh, caused a controversy, then cure it. And the quicker the better. Why? Because of who Christ is. He made us one, not two. One. If the Spirit unifies us, then uh, let's be very careful about separation over personal issues uh, when it's really theological issues. Because you and I have a charge, above all things, to protect the witness of the Gospel at the expense of ourselves. Isn't that the majesty of Christ? He spent Himself in service 
for the glory of God to buy his people. He cured our wrongs. And that should cause us to set aside our own personality differences for his glory because of his cure, his majestic cure. Without his cure, you could not stand before a holy, righteous God. But he cured the wrong with the imputation of the merits of his obedience to your account. And that's a reason to cure wrongs in the life of the church. Calvin gives us good application here. I was reading a number of years ago, uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion. One of its larger sections, by the way, is ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church. Calvin says the marks of the church are God's word faithfully preached and the sacraments properly administered. He held that these two signs were enough to embrace a church. Why? Because the priority and precedence of the advance of the work is more important than all of our disagreements and arguments and personality or leadership philosophies. It's always Christ, always Christ and His majesty. It should have precedence. Not the thoughts of your teenage son or uh, the median age of the church. By the way, if you look at the church in the book of Acts, uh, that's what the church should look like. Look like Christ's body. A diverse church with Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians made one. How? By the Gospel and the Savior. That's what we should look like at Grace Bible Church. Incredible diversity. Incredible ethnicities. Incredible differences in personalities. But setting it all aside for the glory, the sublime majesty of the Savior. Always the Savior. Never diluting theology, but keeping it as pure as we know how. And filling the world with the glory of Christ. That's the precedence. Always, always the precedence. It's interesting that Luke, uh, Luke tells us that the subordinate Barnabas breaks from the leader Paul. It's very interesting. Uh, and, and I understand, I, I don't want to be too harsh. Um, I perhaps uh, might be a little bit speculative here, but Luke uh, never again mentions Barnabas in the rest of the book of Acts. Is that significant? I don't know. I suspect Luke is just simply blowing by the personality leadership difference for the precedence and the priority of what was driving the great apostle Paul in advancing the kingdom of Christ everywhere he went and the beauty, the beauty of the Savior above all things. And so he simply blows by it and gives it no thought whatsoever. But it is intriguing to me that nowhere else in the rest of the book of Acts is Barnabas mentioned. Neither does he mention the church consecrating the work in Cyprus. Is that silence significant? I, I leave that for your own personal reflection. 
But I will tell you in your life, Christ is King of the church. His church is everything. There are many works of the Christian faith, but when you read the book of Acts, it's the church. The church. And Christ is King. And we need to learn that uh, we're going to disagree, but we need to serve our King. That's priority and precedence. And the work must go on. Barnabas, of course, was a very good man. It's going to be mentioned by the Apostle Paul later in his epistles, but nonetheless, uh, I would simply remind you that you withdraw from people and from churches over theological issues. Let's look at this, 2 Thessalonians. Uh, give you a, perhaps a watchword for Grace Bible Church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. Great reminder of, uh, of our own work. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. That's our watchword. should unify us. Holding to the theology of the Scriptures that is everywhere expressed in history, and my own understanding most beautifully expressed in the theology of the great reformers. Should take precedence. The church is more important than you. More important than your leadership philosophical styles. More important than your life. Because Christ is king. And that should hold us. That church where Christ is king should have precedence and priority and the work of advancing the gospel should go on. And the world will always tear at that. Always tear at that. Always try to get you to set it aside. Always try to tell you things like, oh, you want a PhD in biology? Why don't you give up your theology of creation and simply adopt evolution? And... Uh, the, uh, the committee will accept your PhD application. Learn to let it go. God will provide. Serve the Savior. It takes many forms. I don't know what it is in your life. I will just simply tell you that the watchword in the American church and American theology is dilute and dilute and dilute. So that at some point you cease to be a church or just a crowd with its name on your building. Well, the advance of the gospel proceeds under Paul's leadership with the sanction of the church, verses 40 to 41. Paul is undeterred. He loses his right-hand man. And my friend, you're going to lose friends all your life over the theology of the Protestant Reformation and the great doctrine of justification by grace through faith alone. Let it go. The work must go on. Hold to the truth. Hold your ground. Continue on. Leave it in God's hand. He chooses Silas and departs to fulfill the mission. That's the beauty of the Apostle Paul. What deserves priority? The church, the church, the church. The glory of Christ, the glory of Christ in every church. Filling the church 
with the presence of the majesty of the great Son of God who gave His life a ransom the one for the many. Together, a diverse people justified by the merits of His righteousness alone. That's the Gospel. We couldn't save ourselves. We have no merit to offer the holiness and the pristine beauty of the holiness of God. We can only stand in the merits of the righteousness of Christ. Forsaking your works. Prophet Isaiah says they're all filthy rags anyway. Isaiah 64, 6. How can a sinner stand in the presence of God only on the merits of the righteousness of Christ? And so the Apostle Paul goes on with that work. But notice in verse 40, Acts 15, verse 40. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So the church sanctions the work of the Apostle Paul. You want to engage the faith? I understand there's many radio programs. There's countless Bible studies in the American church experience. The church commends the Apostle Paul to the grace of God. That's the work that goes on. That's the work that deserves precedence and priority. And the church sanctions the work. It's a very important principle. I would contend that most every work ought to have a sanction of a church because that's the principle here. Nevertheless, Paul and Silas go about strengthening the churches. Notice verse 41. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We could add to that, could we not? Acts 14.22. Strengthening the churches, reminding them to persevere in the faith because it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. The whole world trying to seduce your faith. Just simply watch television programs. So seductive. Teaching you lifestyles that are strange to the Gospel. Very careful. Our, our culture is almost a giant idol like the idol in Daniel chapter 2. We must be Daniels because of Christ and Christ alone, His grace alone. Strengthening the churches doctrinally and morally. And by the way, I will tell you, Roman culture, we will learn in Acts 17, was just one giant idol to worship Caesar. That idol is present in American culture. It's present in the American Academy. It's present everywhere. So seductive. We should remember what the Apostle Paul is doing. Strengthening the saints to persevere because it's through many tribulations that we enter into the kingdom of God. It's an obvious reference to the people in the churches teaching the Scriptures. I'm committed to biblical exposition, to going through systematically the text so that you can double-check me as to what the text is saying. Because if I hop around from topic to topic, I'm more liable to deceive you as to what I really believe. And deception, I think, is a watchword. Uh, by the way, if you study the end-time tribulation, that's really the key marker in the, in the American church. Uh, Daniel chapter 11. 
Antiochus Epiphanes, seducing the covenant people with soft words. Soft words. My theology is soft words lead to soft people, and soft people are easily deceived. So Paul is strengthening the churches, reminding them of the glory of Christ. But just as a word of application, I, I mean, you're going to see people separate for all types of personal reasons. Uh, what should you do? Continue the work. It has precedence and priority. Continue advancing the church. It's truth. It's theology, the majesty, the grace of God. And when people go, they go. I love the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. I happen to believe that we're going to reap in eternity. Our world teaches us today that we should reap every day. The church, uh, you ought to get rich and you ought to drive this car and that car. No, my friend, our reaping, our great harvest is at the end of time. When our Savior, who was once spiritual, now comes in the majesty of His physical glory. So you keep persevering and don't lose heart. Because you'll reap in eternity. Great, great reminder. Another, another reminder, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. As you know, the context is the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ that ought to steal us to be faithful and to persevere regardless of the form of the tribulation. Deception. Stay in the fight. Keep moving forward. One of the mottos of uh, Navy SEALs, stay in the fight. Should be a motto for us. Great doctrinal truths. Stay in the fight. Be faithful. Our reward comes in the end of time. And that, of course, uh, includes measure of church unity. There's some personality issue between you and a brother, go cure it. Particularly if you were the cause of it. If you weren't, then it falls to the other man or woman. But let us remember priority and precedence goes to the glory of Christ. Thankfully, as you know in your study of Scripture, the matter was not irreconcilable. The separation, thankfully, is eventually cured. The greater and more compelling and driving issue is the glory of Christ, the pressing need of the advance of the gospel, which engages people and their differences. What makes us one? The glory of Christ. Regardless of culture, background, ethnicities, it's Christ. Always priority and precedence. At some point, I believe, John Mark goes to Paul and cures the wrong. I can't document that. But I can document the outcome, and that's why I think it's happened. 
Just look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. I happen to think that John Mark eventually went restored. John Mark was the cause, and John Mark is the cure. Colossians 4, verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greeting, and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. The majesty of the Apostle Paul, curing the wrong throughout all the churches, because John Mark made it right. Ought to be a watchword for us, setting aside our personal difference, staying in the fight because the church has precedence and priority. Second Timothy chapter four verse eleven. This is Paul's last epistle. He's in his second Roman imprisonment. This time they're going to take his head. At least that's what tradition tells us. Notice what Paul said. This is painful. This is really, really painful. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Service in what? The church. The church. Useful for me for service in advancing the glory of Christ in the body of Christ in the church. Man, what an accolade for John Mark. Useful for service. Should be a watchword for you. Letting goods and kindred go. Letting personality issues flake off of you. Being useful for service in what? The church. The church. The majestic glory of the church and its Savior. The majestic, sublime beauty of the resurrected Christ. Philemon 24. Have this attitude. Or pardon me. Philemon 24. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. That's what you and I are. We're just fellow workers. In the greatest institution of all time. The kingdom of God propagating the whole earth. Psalm 110, carrying the gospel of King Messiah until the armies of Christ prevail over everything and the Savior comes. Useful in that. The majesty of the church. Why? Because it has precedence and priority in light of its head. Should be uh, that which uh, preserves and keeps us. But I love the fact that John Mark cures it. In my belief, he cures it. It's totally speculation, but he caused it. I think he cured it. Cause a wrong, cure the wrong. We, we're all fallen creatures. We make mistakes. We say things in anger. Uh, the Lord knows I do. <laughs> uh, cure it. Learn to apologize. Learn to say I'm sorry. Be useful to service in the church where Christ is king. In your families, I understand husband and wife getting disagreements. I, 
just, it's life. There's always disagreements. It's how you handle them. It's who's the king, the savior, being useful to the church, to the church, because Christ is its head. Great reminder, Philippians uh, uh, chapter 4. I love this text. Reminds me so much of every church. I urge Yodi and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. That's how you handle it. There's, so there's some debate. I don't know over what. I don't want purple thread. I want black. Oh, I want red. I mean, I, who knows? Two women get in it. What's, what fixes that? Well, Philippians 2.5. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. Uh, we set aside our rights to serve him. We set aside our personalities, our team favorites, to serve him. The attitude of Christ. He left his heavenly glory. He set aside the voluntary use of his attributes. He set aside his heavenly environment to come to be what? The king, the majestic king of heaven, born in a manger. Uh, to be rejected, beaten, spat upon. Have this attitude, Paul says. He sets his rights up. We live in a culture that my rights, my rights are everything. No, Christ's rights are everything. That's the point of the text of Philippians 2.5. That's what should prevail. That's what has precedence and priority. Christ, who's king of the, the church. Uh, this church, the king used to be a queen, Queen Mary. No, watch. That's it's incredible. She's not the queen of heaven. There's no queen of heaven. Christ is king. His glory should take precedence and priority. So John Mark displays the importance of serving. We should all learn. Always going to be disagreements and always going to be a need for resolution and reconciliation. Uh, the Apostle Paul was so instructive here. Romans 12, 18. If possible... As far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. And when you can't be, stay in the fight. Continue in the church. Serving the Lord. And your time will come. Your labor is not in vain. Just simply blow by it. Continue moving forward. Staying in the fight. Should be a compelling factor of our witness. And behind it all is what? Christ cured us before the glory and majesty of His heavenly Father. He alone is the cure, by the way. Your works would never prevail. He alone is the cure. If you're not a Christian, you, you can only come to Christ and bow before Him as your personal Savior, proclaiming the merits of His righteousness alone alone, because nothing else will avail. He cured you by His work upon the cross. It's helpful, I think, uh, Grace Bible Church, to remind ourselves uh, that this is Christ's church. Not mine or yours, it's His. And we exist to uh, serve Him, to advance His kingdom. Uh, in God's grace, may we faithfully do that giving him precedence and priority because of the majesty of the cure 
And let us in our assembly be at peace with everyone. Because through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. And that's, I think, the greatest treasure of all life. To be at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ.